The following audio is from LaGrange Church of Christ, located in Texas. For more information about LaGrange Church of Christ, please visit our website at www.lagrangecoc.com. Well, grace and peace to you this morning. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Um, We are involved in a series of lessons on 1 Thessalonians, so if you have your Bible, you can turn to chapter 2, and we'll be uh, there in just a moment, or you can look up on the screen. Before we do that, I got a note here um, saying that Dylan is going on a mission for three months and that um, requests prayers on his behalf, and so uh, remember that in your prayers this week and for the the next three months or so, but I want to go ahead and offer a prayer right now before we begin. Father, we come before you at this time just thanking you for um, all the blessings that that you've given us, and we're grateful for those things. Uh, We're mindful of people in our congregation who are not with us, uh, people who are sick, people who are um, away because of jobs or something else. We're especially mindful of Dylan Fonville as he is going out on a mission for three months, and and, and we pray for him and, and all those who are in harm's way, and we ask you to protect them and to, to watch over them, Father. We're mindful of our brother MJ, who just had surgery yesterday. We ask you to be with him as well. And we're just mindful of our country at this time. And uh, we, we know there's turmoil here in this land, and we pray for peace so that you will be glorified in all things. Be with us this morning as we strive to uh, be transformed by your holy word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, I want to thank Robin this morning. If you see the, the wonderful decorations, kind of remind you of fall. I know it doesn't feel like fall outside yet. I wish it did. But, uh, uh, it, it, you know, you can come in here in the air conditioning, and it reminds you a little bit of fall, and thank her for that. Well, I, I received some wonderful news this week. A, a letter was sent to the church regarding a, an exciting opportunity. And so uh, uh, before we begin, I just want to go ahead and and read this letter to you and just let everyone hear it. it. It begins, Dear Sir, I have been requested by the Nigerian National Petroleum Company to contact you for assistance in resolving a matter. The Nigerian National Petroleum Company has recently concluded that a large number of contracts for oil exploration in the sub Saharan region, the contracts have immediately produced monies equaling $40 million. The Nigerian National Petroleum Company is desirous of oil exploration in other parts of the world. However, because of certain regulations of the Nigerian government, it is unable to move these funds to another region. Your assistance is requested as a non-Nigerian citizen to assist in moving these funds out of Nigeria. If the funds can be transferred to your name in your United States account, then you can forward the funds as directed by the Nigerian National Petroleum Company. In exchange for your accommodating services, the Nigerian National Petroleum Company would agree to allow you to retain 10% or $4 million. Hmm. However, to be a legitimate transferee of these monies, according to Nigerian law, you must presently be a depositor of at least $100,000 in a Nigerian bank. Please call me at your earliest convenience. Time is of the essence in this matter. Very quickly, the Nigerian government will realize that the central bank is maintaining this amount on deposit and attempt to levy certain depository taxes on it. Yours truly, Prince Alusi Islasis. So, you know, if we just come up with that $100,000, then, you know, we get $4 million in return. And 
I read that because we've probably all received an email like that before. We live in a world where scams are plentiful. We are distrusting of deals that seem too good to be true. And we know that when someone offers us a free vacation, that somewhere along the way it's going to involve a three to four hour sales pitch at some point. When we receive an email from a friend or relative about how they lost their wallet in Europe and need you to wire money immediately, we automatically assume that their account has been hacked, and rightly so. There is a reason why televangelist, that word, carries a negative connotation. We have known too many of these TV preachers to make promises that they cannot fulfill, all while asking people to send in their money. We are skeptical, and we are cynical. But this is not unique to our generation. Things were actually similar in Paul's day. Not every traveling preacher was legitimate. And Paul addresses this in 1 Thessalonians 2. He reminds the church of why it is they can trust him. So we want to begin by by reading part of that letter. It says there, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you is not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Trust is lacking in our day and age. And I'm not just talking about scams or televangelists. Often there are legitimate reasons not to trust something. It would be unwise to to trust someone who's claiming to be a Nigerian prince who's asking for money. At the same time, we desperately need people in our lives whom we can trust, whom we can depend on. A lack of trust can be detrimental to a society. What what happens when we lose trust? This question was recently examined in a New York Times article by David Brooks. And I I want you to notice some of what he says. He, He writes, a generation ago, about half of all Americans felt they could trust the people around them. But now, less than a third think other people are trustworthy. 
Young people are the most distrustful of all. Only about 19% of millennials believe other people can be trusted. But across all age groups, there's a rising culture of paranoia and conspiracy mongering. The the true thing about distrust in politics and in life generally is that it is self-destructive. Distrustful people end up isolating themselves, alienating others, and corroding their inner natures. It's not healthy to live in constant fear and doubt. When we can no longer trust the people and systems around us, we become paranoid. We embrace conspiracy theories. Distrust dissolves communities. It tears apart friendships. It erodes a nation. A church cannot exist without trust. And Paul understood this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 gives us a glimpse into Paul's ministry. And one of the very first things he does after arriving in Thessalonica is seek to establish trust. He gives people a reason to believe in him and to believe the gospel that he is proclaiming. Notice in verse 3 he writes, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. The NRSV puts it this way, for our appeal does not spring from deceit or impure motives or trickery. Paul is not a televangelist. He's not a Nigerian prince. He's not a snake oil salesman. His motives are neither impure nor deceitful. His presentation is not just some form of trickery. And just prior to verse 3, Paul talks about how he had suffered in Philippi. Philippi was the place that he was right before he came to Thessalonica. And his point there is that a person who is a fraud is not someone who's willing to suffer for their cause. Paul is making sacrifices that a scam artist would never make. His life is an open book, and he invites the Thessalonians to examine it. In verse 4, Paul reminds the Thessalonians that his goal is to please God and not mortals. The message that, that Paul was delivering was bigger than himself. It's very difficult to trust someone when they're only looking out for themselves or if they're only doing what's best for them. This kind of behavior often destroys trust because we can see through that. We, we can see their motives. We know that they don't really have anyone else in mind. Paul did not set out to please people in order to benefit from that in some way. His sole motive, he tells us, was to please God. And if that means he must suffer, then so be it. Paul has put God above everything else, including his own comfort. It's hard to to look look a person in the eye and say that they're not serious about their faith when they're willing to be persecuted or even put to death. And the Christians in Thessalonica could trust Paul because they knew that his faith was genuine. Paul goes on to mention that his motivation for sharing the gospel was not greed and that it was not praise. He wasn't seeking that. He's not looking to get something out of it. Instead, this is what he says. 
But we were gentle among you, like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children. So deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. And so Paul discusses his motives, but he quickly gets beyond this and he points to his actions. And he talks about his relationship with the Thessalonians. He says that he was gentle and that he treated them as a nurse that's caring for a child. In verse 11, he says that he was like a father with his children. How so? Well, this is answered in verse 8 because Paul tells us there that not only did he share the gospel with the Thessalonians, but that he shared himself. Trust does not happen on its own. It takes work. It takes people who are willing to be vulnerable. And someone, there's always someone that has to take the first step. Someone has to be open before everyone else does. Someone has to give themselves first before others will follow. And building trust means that we must take risk. But when trust is the foundation of a relationship, you have something beautiful there. And once trust is formed, it's something that needs to be cared for. Because if you take advantage of it, then you can lose that trust that you've worked to build. So why does Paul spend all this time talking about his ministry in Thessalonica? Why does he want us here living in the 21st century in LaGrange, Texas, to know the extent that he went to to build trust among this group of believers? Let me suggest two reasons. First, it is absolutely essential that we form communities of trust. The church needs to be a group of people that you can depend upon. It's a place where we can confess our sins and not be judged because we know there is forgiveness through Christ our Lord. It is a place where we can openly share our burdens with one another and we can find help and support. The church is a place where we can admit our weaknesses because we know that God is working through us to do something amazing. And all of this is only possible because there's a level of trust among us. The church in Thessalonica was a young church. When Paul writes this letter, uh, the church is probably around four months old. And Paul wanted them to know that a community of believers must be founded on trust. And Paul didn't just tell them this. He lived it out in front of their very own eyes. He was like a caring nurse. He was like a loving father. He invested in the people around him. He formed relationships and worked to to strengthen those relationships. A strong church is a group of people that you can trust with anything. Second, Paul spends a lot of time writing about trust and relationships because this is how he did ministry. We have been called to share the gospel with others. 
And this isn't just Paul's job. It's not just the responsibility of the preacher and the elders. We have all been called to share the gospel. Every Christian. And sometimes we wonder, what does that look like? How does one go about sharing the gospel with others? Well, Paul begins to answer these questions in this passage. He says that we share our lives with people. That's how we share the gospel. We get to know them. We form relationships. We let other people know that we are people that they can trust. We're not trying to sell them something. We're not greedy. We're not seeking praise. We're trustworthy, and we have a message that is unbelievable. It's a message that will change your life. And if we truly understand the power of the gospel, then we're going to want to share it with all the people in our lives. Although there are many differences between our culture and the culture of this first century church in Thessalonica, there are some similarities. One of the major obstacles we face is the lack of trust among people. People don't trust the government. They don't trust the media. Uh, They don't always trust doctors, police officers, and, and others who have given their lives to helping people. And there are many reasons why trust is in decline nowadays. But one thing is for certain. We, as Christians, need to be a people who build trust rather than tear it down. The church needs to be a place where trust is foundational. Christians need to be a people who are trustworthy. And in a world where trust is disappearing, we have the opportunity to be something different. We have the privilege of introducing people to someone who always keeps his promises. Someone who always keeps his word. We have the privilege of serving a God who is the epitome of trustworthiness. It's who he is. It's part of his character. We can trust God more than anything else in this world. And there are lots of people in this world who are longing for something to trust in. They're looking, but they haven't found it yet. And so it's our responsibility to introduce them to our God. Why not give these people a reason to trust? Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we're thankful for your faithfulness. We're thankful for your trustworthiness. We're thankful that you're a God who keeps his promises, that keeps his covenant no matter how unfaithful we are. We're thankful, Father, that in a world that is sometimes unstable, that is sometimes shaky, uh, we can turn to you and we can trust in you and that we know that you're going to care for us and that you're watching over us. We're so thankful for Jesus who displayed this trust in you when he came to this earth. 
We're thankful for his example. May we follow in his footsteps. Pray in his name. Amen.